So I was thinking it might be time for another You Are Here. You know those kiosks at the big shopping centers or maybe at a, an amusement park or in some sort of tourist area. There's a map, shows you all the different places you could go. And then there's the star that says, this is where you're located. So I, I thought maybe it might be time to do a You Are Here. So uh, by way of reminder, we committed that in the year 2023, we would spend the entire year talking about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century? What would that look like? And so we've been discussing that from a number of different perspectives. And the way that we're talking about what it means to be a disciple is that we're thinking in terms that a disciple spends time with Jesus getting to know Jesus, developing relationship with Jesus, just like we see the disciples had spent time with Jesus, developed a relationship with him in the message of the gospels. Then we think another expression of what it means to be a disciple is to become like Jesus, to learn about his character, his attitudes, his virtues, his behaviors, and ask ourselves, are, am I becoming more of a better reflection of who Jesus is and what he's like? And then we look at the idea of do what Jesus did. What were the things that Jesus made a priority in his life? Where did he invest his time? Where did he point his energy? And ask ourselves the similar question. As 21st century disciples of Jesus, are we doing similar things? And so right now, here in the first part of 2023, we're spending our time focused on what does it mean to develop a relationship with Jesus? And how do we spend time with him? And we've been looking at it from a number of different um, uh, perspectives. And I want to just take one more stab at sort of orienting our, our, our ideas of what it means to spend time with Jesus in a very interesting discussion. Um, it's going to be four messages that I want to share with you. It's actually going to take us six weeks to get through them because we have serving Sunday in between. Also, I'm going to be gone one Sunday doing a, a wedding in Colorado. I mean, somebody's got to do it, right? And, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll start the series, I'll come back and I'll finish it. And then you're not going to believe it, we're, we're into our summer, summer messages, which is, is also exciting. So here's what I want to do today. You ready? A little audience participation. I want to begin with a word association exercise. Now, you'll just do this inside your head, okay? I'm going to give you a couple of words. I want you to think about what do those words mean and... What do those words feel like? Then I'm going to show you a couple of pictures, a couple of images. I want you to ask yourself, what are those images? What do they represent? How do I think those situations or those images, how do they feel? And then I'm going to describe a couple of situations that we're all familiar with. I want you to ask yourself, what's happening in that situation and how does it feel? Make sense? Do I need to explain that again? <laughs> All right, here's a couple of words. I just want you to make sure you understand what the words are and how you think they feel. So the words are sacred, noble, revered, hallowed. Got it? All right, a couple of pictures. It's a picture of the Vietnam Veterans War Memorial, Washington, D.C. Tens of thousands of names, soldiers who gave their lives in the Vietnam 
war. Next picture, the September 11th memorial in New York City. Arlington National Cemetery. Notre Dame Cathedral. Finally, a little closer to home, the Alamo. Sacred, noble, revered, hallowed, places like Arlington National Cemetery, the 9-11 Memorial. Now, I want to describe a couple of situations. Again, you're probably familiar with these. The situation, uh, missing a slide. So I'll give them to you. An invocation at, at some kind of ceremony, somebody's invited to pray. How about attending a funeral? How about a group of people saying the Pledge of Allegiance? How about a group of people assembled together for a naturalization ceremony where people are receiving their citizenship in the United States? You got an idea? So let me, let me ask you two questions. When you imagine those words, those places, those situations, do you imagine them to be loud or quiet? Do you imagine them to be Situations that are chaotic, fast and hurried and kind of disorganized? Or do you imagine those places to be calm? Now, my guess is that most of you would answer that of those words, those pictures, those situations, most of those, our perception is that they are quiet places. Places of respect, solemnity, reverence. That they're places of calm, a decorum, a certain order to how we go about experiencing them. When I was in graduate school, I got to do a study abroad. I spent a month in the nation of Israel. We lived in downtown Jerusalem. At an at a institution of um, learning. And we were like literally part of this compound that we were in. One of the walls in which a dorm had been built. Was part of the wall that Nehemiah had built. That you read about in the Bible. And we spent our day. It wasn't a tourist experience. We spent our day um, going to different places. And studying the course that I was in was uh, biblical geography. We were studying the land and the topography of the nation of Israel and how it impacts the story of the Bible. And so we were, we were writing papers. We were taking classes. We drew so many maps. We were being tested. And then on weekends, we'd take a break. 
And we would go and do some touristy kinds of things. And I'll never forget one of the experiences that I had. We went to a place called Yad Vashem. Yad Vashem is Israel's national memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. The entire architecture, the, the, the historical uh, pieces that are contained in the museum are absolutely incredible. But, but there was one part of the experience that profoundly impacted my life. And that was a memorial to the 1.5 million children who were murdered in the Holocaust. What you do is you walk into this room through a door and it's essentially a bridge that you walk across in this ginormous expanse. And the way that the room is designed is this basically 360 degrees anywhere you look are mirrors. You're in pitch black, but there have been several candles to represent the lives of these children that have been lit. And so they reflect in all of the mirrors. It's like walking through a constellation of stars. And as you make your way over the bridge, a narrator reads the names of the 1.5 million children. Their name, their age, and their place of birth. I can't even begin to describe to you the, the profound impact that experience had on my life. We finished our tour of the facilities. I got back on the bus. Fortunately, there was room on the bus that I could have a seat by myself. I, I got on the inside of the, of the row so I could look out the window. And all I wanted to do was cry. And for days after that experience, something wasn't right inside of me. So if you take the ideas of words like reverence and noble and sacred and hallowed, if you take the essence of places like Arlington National Cemetery, the 9-11 Memorial, what the Alamo represents, if you consider what's happening at an invocation or a naturalization ceremony, when you, when you take into account experiences like Yad Vashem or other ones like it. And if you take all of that, you ready? You with me? If you take all of that and you turn it inside of you, you are now talking about the region of your soul. Did you get that? Our soul inside of us as human beings is this intangible place of sacredness, of reverence, this place of all that is hallowed. 
Why do places like Yad Vashem or a visit to the 9-11 memorial or the, vet, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, why, why does something happen inside of us when we experience that? It's because it's deeply spiritual. It's not just sad. It's not just moving. It's not just reflective. What's happening inside of us is that our soul is responding. Our soul. Your soul is that sacred place inside of you where you encounter God. Your soul is that sacred place inside of you, that hallowed, hallowed space within where spiritual life and all it is about originates. That place, that space exists inside of each and every one of us. But we understand so little about it. And worse, we pay such little attention to it. You want to learn something? You want to learn something about how we work, like how we as human beings function? Anybody? All right, let me ask you, have you ever felt like this physically exhausted, emotionally drained? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like we have jobs that are full of stress and we run at this breakneck speed and so many responsibilities and so much demand and so many goals to reach and metrics to measure. And, 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 and some of us, we're, we're raising little kids. And some of us, we, 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 we're dealing with like physical challenges of health. And some of us, are, our marriages are strained. Or we have a child who's, who's a teenager or young adult and they're breaking our heart. Or we got some kind of drama happening in our extended family. And it's just, it's just taking everything that, that you have and it's just sucking life out of you. We, we've all have been here. And this is how we say, we say, oh, I'm just so exhausted. I'm just drained. But if you look at it specifically, it looks like this. We're worried, stressed, we're afraid, we're discontent, we're, we're so angry, we're, we're disillusioned, discouraged, we're bitter, we're sad, we're frustrated, we're, we become impatient, we're resentful, we're, we feel weak, we feel stalled, we feel broken. And what do we do? We start feeling like that. We start sensing that. We start looking like that kind of a picture or some representation thereof. And here's what we think is the solution. We say to ourselves, I need a vacation. I need a vacation. I got to get away from it all. This is too much. I need a break. And this is how we do vacation. This is how we think in terms of vacation. I want to go somewhere different. I want to get away from this and go there. I want to be in the mountains. 
I want to be at the beach. I want to be in Europe. I want to be at some resort. I just want to be in a different place than the one that I'm in that represents all of that stress and fear and worry and anger. I just want to get away from that and go here. And then we talk about like pleasure. I'm going to go to this place and I'm going to eat lots of great food and drink lots of wonderful beverages. And I'm going to sleep late. I'm going to take naps. And I'm going to do all the things that I love to do. I'm going to play golf all the time. I'm going to play tennis as much as I want. I'm, I'm going to just do all the things that I really enjoy because this has become all the stuff I don't enjoy. And I'm going to do a different pace. I'm not going to answer my emails and I'm not going to check my messages and I'm not going to turn in the reports. I'm just going to slow down. I'm going to chill. The problem is that we go away to vacation. We do all our favorite things. (laughs) And to make matters work, we we hike up all of the debt on our credit card just a little bit more. And it's not two days, it's not two weeks, it's not two months from we get back from the vacation that we needed because we were physically exhausted and emotionally drained. And within days, maybe weeks, we're feeling all of the ways that we felt when we left. And I see some of you going, uh-huh, that's exactly, how did you know? So the question is, what if all along it's not our body and it's not our mind that's worn out? It feels like that. Those are the only words we have for it. But what if all along it's not our body and it's not our mind that's worn out? What if all along it's our soul that's weary? You see, most people, most of us, We are more soul tired than we are physically or emotionally worn out. But we don't understand our soul. We don't know how it works. Physically exhausted and emotionally worn out can be cured. It can be cured with a great vacation. But soul tired cannot. You still interested in learning? Okay, look at this list again. Worried, stressed, bitter, sad, frustrated. Here's what most people don't understand. That all of these, every single one of them, at their roots are spiritual. This isn't about hitting it so hard day after day after day, week after week after week that you become physically exhausted. No, there's something spiritual that's happening down inside your soul that's driving you at that pace. It's driving you to meet those objectives and to fill out that performance and to accomplish those ambitions. Something's driving all of that. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. It's something has happened to contaminate or complicate your relationships to where you end up feeling all of these things. I've often told you that these, these emotional responses, like these are just the lights on the dashboard of your life. These are the little indicator lights that come on and they're telling you there's something wrong down in the engine 
There's something that's not working right down on the electrical system of your, of your automobile. Every one of these, every one of these are ultimately spiritual at their core. And we keep trying to address them with some sort of a physical solution, some sort of an emotional break. When really, it's our soul that needs to be addressed. You see, when our soul is tired, when our soul is hurting, when our soul has become dysfunctional, a vacation is not the way that human beings refresh it. Does that make sense? Oh, if, if there was only some way, if there was just some kind of a way that human beings could go about addressing their soul, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, wait a second. There is. <laughs> Not only there is, but it's been around forever. In fact, this solution for the needs of our soul is actually, it actually has existed since the creation of the universe. It's been around since the world began. And God created it. God established it. God anointed it to do a work in our soul that a vacation never could. And it's called Sabbath. Sabbath. But most of us, we go, Sabbath? That's, that's, that's ancient stuff. and Nobody pays attention. <laughs> exactly. Nobody pays attention to the design of Sabbath anymore. And therefore our soul is exhausted. Look at this. Genesis chapter 2. The heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. Detailed in chapter 1 of Genesis. The very first book of the Bible. Thus the heavens and the earth, the entire universe were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. He was all finished, all wrapped up. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then, then God blessed, he anointed, he put a blessing on. God blessed the seventh day and he made it sacred. He made it hallowed. He made it a day to revere. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, let me ask you a question. After God created the universe, was he tired? Of course not. So why did he take a break? Because he understood the value 
of a design that he was establishing for his creation, human beings, that it would be wise for them that every so many days they stopped from all their work so that they could pay attention to their soul. So we find in the Ten Commandments, God's design for the nation of Israel. He says this, remember, honor, remember the Sabbath, and remember to keep it sacred. Now, this is the unfortunate part of how many evangelicals tend to want to interpret the scriptures. And they say, well, Paul, that's Old Testament. That's the Mosaic law. And everybody knows we're no longer under the law. True. But when God rested on the seventh day, the law hadn't been established yet. That was neither Old Testament nor New Testament. That was the created order. So yes, you're correct. Some of the things that we encounter in the Old Testament are no longer in effect in the same way that they are in the New Testament. And yes, we are no longer obligated to the designs of the Sabbath as a way to earn favor with God like they did in the Old Testament under the Mosaic Law. But in the New Testament, now we have the cross and the cross rearranges what the Old Testament and its implications on our life and a relationship with God. And now we, we have a relationship with God through the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. But that doesn't mean that the wisdom and the design of the Sabbath is no longer important. No, we don't honor the Sabbath now as 21st century Christians in the same way that the Jews did in the nation of Israel living under Mosaic law. But there is wisdom and purpose in the spirit of the Sabbath that's still good for the soul. Does that make sense? In fact, you hardly find the word Sabbath even mentioned in the New Testament. It's mentioned frequently in the Gospels, but the Gospels are largely addressing a transition from Old Testament way of life to New Testament way of life. But that doesn't mean that it's not important. It just means that it might function differently in our lives today as Christians. The word Sabbath means rest. Sabbath by nature in its divine design was intended to provide spiritual rest for our soul. God's providing guidance about a rhythm to how we go about our life so that our soul doesn't get sacrificed on the altar of all the other things. It's not because work is bad. It's because the stress and the burden of work threatens rest. And God knows the nature of human beings and they'll chase after their work as long as it takes, which seems like it takes all the time that they would neglect their soul. And God's saying, don't do that. 
I heard, I heard a great... I had a great explanation of the Ten Commandments once from a pastor. He said, we, we always hear about, you know, uh, thou shalt not, don't do that. And he said, it's just God's way of saying, don't hurt yourself. Th- these are things that I'm, I'm recommending to you so that you don't hurt yourself. And Sabbath is one of those ways to protect our lives as human beings. If you look at how the Sabbath is explained in the Old Testament, what we find is the Sabbath was a day that was set aside so that the people in the nation of Israel could nurture their soul. They could participate in those experiences that encourage and refresh their soul. It was intended to be a rhythm of life from which I rested from all the hurry and the noise and the clutter in my life so that I could invest in my soul. And what were the instructions? The instructions were, keep it holy. In other words, do whatever you have to do to protect its value. Don't let a lot of other things come in and and push it out of your life, but protect it, keep it holy, keep it sacred, keep it hallowed, because the purpose for which it exists is so extraordinary to your life. Sabbath rest is to be kept holy, protected from any threat to its sacred purpose. The Christian who honors the spirit of the Sabbath, not not the Sabbath laws, but the spirit that those laws captured, the Christian who honors the spirit of the Sabbath increases their likelihood of enjoying the many benefits of a healthy soul. Remember that other list? The fear, the stress, the anger, the burden, the discontentment. Remember that one? It was just a few minutes ago. You remember? <laughs> okay, here's a different list. How's that feel? How's that look? Yeah, see, what the scriptures are teaching us is that as we cultivate our soul and all that God invites to our soul through an experience with him is we can know things like peace, joy, hope, courage, rest, the ability to forgive and let go of that hurt, the power, love, patience, to live life with purpose, to know wisdom, to have compassion, to feel contentment, freedom, faith, gratefulness, to actually get some sleep. To know a renewed sense of energy in your life. The cure for a tired and weary soul is not a place. It's not a pleasure. The cure for a tired and weary soul is a person. And that person, his name is Jesus. Jesus said... Come to me. Come here. Stop. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And look what I'll do. I'll give you rest. 
Take my yoke, uh, my way of life, my, my learning. Take my way of life upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Folks, I'm telling you, if your religious or spiritual experience is not that, then you're doing it wrong. Because Jesus is offering something that's gentle and humble and hard. And here's what you will find. You will find rest for your soul. For my way of life, it's easy. Don't let religion complicate it for you. Quit letting human beings make it harder than it was ever intended to be. For my way of life is easy. The things that I have for you, they're actually light. But here's what we all have to we all have to own up to is that most everything about contemporary society competes against what it takes to nurture a healthy soul. The world that we live in, the culture that we're surrounded by, the society that we look to so often, everything about contemporary society competes against what it takes to nurture a healthy soul. So here's what I want to do. The next three messages that I have to share with you, I want to talk about the three greatest threats to Sabbath rest for your soul. Interested? You go, well, tell me what they are. Okay, I will. The three greatest threats to the Sabbath rest of your soul is hurry, noise, and clutter. That life lived without any margins, running from one thing to the next, all those things that you are absolutely convinced that your child has to be involved in, all the obligations of society you feel compelled to say yes to, to where you're running at such a breakneck speed without any margins, that's a threat to your soul. The noise. Well, how does our day start for most of us? With noise? It's called an alarm clock. Or a baby crying. Noise. It's advertising and marketing, it's commercials, it's television, it's podcasts, it's, it's the radio, it's all the noise. It's not good for your soul. And clutter, clutter, this could be like the clutter of all the things we possess. All the stuff that we haven't used in five years, but we still keep around. Our attics are full of them. We can't even park our cars in them because of all the clutter. You got 10,857 emails stacked up. It's clutter. You got phone messages waiting for you to respond. The emotional clutter of anger at somebody because of something they did to hurt you. The clutter of a, of a marriage that you continue to ignore. It's obvious that you're not doing this right or well, and yet you just continue to exist in it. That's clutter. 
and it's disturbing your soul. And the whole time, the whole time God's been saying, I got something so much better for you. I want so much better for you. God says, instead of hurry, what would it be like to know rest? Seven days a week, 24 hours a day to know rest. God says, so much noise, so much noise. What, 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 if, what if you could know peace? Quiet all the voices. What if instead of clutter, you could know order and purpose, satisfaction, fulfillment because of the way that your life works in keeping with God's design, not your workplace's design, not society's design about what your children should and shouldn't be doing, not, not, not your friend's design for your life, not your parents' it, God's design for your life invites you to a life of order to where there's time for all the most important things. Make sense? Anybody interested in coming back? Next week we'll talk about hurry and the destruction that it's creating in our hearts. So we gotta we we actually have some time. You know me, I, I like to end right on time. It's very important to me. So let me ask you to bow your head. It's, this is just time for you. And here's what I want you to do. Just your words, your way. You're, you're big people. You're smart. Have something of a conversation with God that says something like this. God, I'm open. I'm open to learn some things about Sabbath. And if you're feeling panic because nobody's talking or you don't know what's going to happen next, then you really need to have this conversation with God. Just tell him, God, I'm so stressed. I'm so worried. I'm so afraid. I'm so bitter. I'm so angry. Will you teach me about Sabbath?
God, I'm going a million miles an hour chasing after so many things. I think they're all good. But all I feel is panic. That I'm not going to get it all done. Will you teach me about Sabbath? Got so much noise in my soul. So many competing voices. Will you teach me about Sabbath? God, I got so many loose ends, so much unfinished business. My entire inner world is full of clutter. People I refuse to forgive. Things I can't seem to get right. Stuff everywhere that needs my attention. Will you teach me about Sabbath? Let me ask you to stand with me, please. Again, you, you don't have to do anything. I'm just maybe, just maybe, just put your hands out in front of you, some way to demonstrate to God. I, I'm I'm open-handed right now, God. I'm I'm coming from curious. I think I need to learn something about Sabbath. I think I, I long for the rest for my soul. Our Father in heaven, you look into the hearts of men and women. You read our minds. You know our lives better than we do. And you know we're tired. And you know we're drained. And you see our worries and our fear and you know what we're bitter about. What we're angry over. And you know why we can't ever feel content? I pray, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would speak to our soul and call us to your son, Jesus. That we would come to him. We would learn from him. We'd find the rest for our soul that we crave. We pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.